Peter said, I am really learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people. You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen, not by everyone, but by us. We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through God's name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there is a park in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's called Point Park. And during seminary, I used to go and sit at Point Park and watch the rivers flow. You see, in Point Park, what is so neat about it is it's a little triangle of land just outside of downtown Pittsburgh where you can see three rivers all at the same time. Across from Point Park used to be the old Three Rivers Stadium if you were a baseball or football fan. It was literally across the stream. But in between those streams, you could see three rivers. From the south, there was a really dirty, ugly, gross river called the Monongalia River. And that Monongalia River starts in my hometown of Clarksburg, West Virginia. And you could travel it. You could go all the way north into Pittsburgh following this this stream, really, that grows bigger and bigger. And because it flows north and because it flows out of the mountains, it's muddy, it's gross, it's kind of turbulent, it's not a great river. From the north, on the other hand, is a shiny blue river. It's fed from the Great Lakes. It's got brand new lake water in it. It's gorgeous, and it flows from the south. And so you have or from the north, south, into Pittsburgh. So you have this shiny, great, beautiful blue river and this ugly, muddy, brown river crawling up from beneath it. And they join together at Point Park in Pittsburgh. And when they join together, they make the Ohio River, a big river, a great river. But what's so neat, I think, about these two rivers is you can see where the two rivers meet, where the streams meet one another. There's a clear line, it's marked between them, and it takes a good while, a good um, half a mile or a quarter of a mile for the two rivers to become one. It takes a long time for the Allegheny and the Monongalia River to join together to make the Ohio. It's messy. It's a muddy process. Neither one of the rivers wants to give way. Each wants to be the dominant new river to make up the Ohio, and yet, One of them has to, or they have to make something new. But it doesn't seem possible that these two rivers, so different, so different in color, character, temperature, direction of flow, can make something else, something better. And at this morning's story, Peter is struggling with the same reality. You see, it had been a hard year for Peter. 
Peter's was in many ways considered the best disciple, the most powerful disciple, was sort of self-appointed as Jesus' favorite disciple. He was the one who got most of the attention. He got most in trouble, too. It was not just a one-way street, but Jesus and Peter had a special bond. It couldn't be denied. And so it had been a hard year for Peter. He'd watched his best friend be crucified. And not in a great way. It wasn't a pleasant experience to witness, but he had watched. And then after that had happened, he went into hiding for fear of his own life. He was under a little bit of stress. And like most of us, Peter didn't handle his stress that well. He made some bad choices. He denied Christ when given the opportunity to stand up for his friend. He kind of got mad at everybody he was hanging out with. He refused to listen to them. He locked himself in his bedroom and sort of threw a temper tantrum. It was not a good year for Peter. And even though Peter thought he was given the right, he was given the authority to start the new church, there was this upstart guy named Paul who was challenging him. You see, Paul thought he was in charge. Paul, who was this interloper, this outsider, this guy who had never been with Jesus, in fact, was anti-Jesus. He'd risen up to a position of power in the church to be as equal in authority to Peter, and Peter couldn't understand. He didn't, he didn't get it. He said, I was there. I saw Jesus. I talked to Jesus. I knew Jesus. He spoke to me. I was a witness at the resurrection. I was there. They're not really there. Because as we remember from the story, the person that Jesus showed himself to first was Mary. It was the women who came to the tomb to whom Jesus revealed himself. And so Peter missed out on even being the witness, the initial witness to the resurrection. You could say his ego had been knocked down a few pegs. It turns out Peter was not as important as he thought he was. He wasn't as in charge as he thought he was. He wasn't going to get as much say in the future of this thing called church as he thought he deserved. And so it had been a rough year for Peter. He tried. He tried to be, to be fair. But he felt, he had felt for a long time that the Jewish people should give me, be given priority. And so God does what God does, which is send some dreams to Peter that knock Peter on his, well, off his pedestal anyway. God sends some dreams to Peter, and there, he sees a big sheet, a big bed sheet in heaven, and there are animals on this bed sheet, right? And they're like unclean and clean animals together, which is a no-no, you shouldn't do that. And God fills up this sheet from heaven full of clean animals and unclean animals and sends them to Peter and says, these are your animals. That's a weird dream. And so Peter doesn't get it at first, and he says, ah, maybe, maybe I could try a different dream. And God sends it again. God sent the vision three times, clean and unclean animals together on one big sheet. So Peter starts to get nervous. Maybe I wasn't so right about what this church thing should look like. 
And if that's not weird enough, his friend Cornelius, who wasn't even in the church, he was an Italian centurion, he didn't have anything to do with anything, got the same dream. They started talking to each other. Hey, did you get this weird dream about animals mixing together on the sheet? And Peter realizes that he'd been wrong the whole time. The whole time. That he'd been wrong, that... This church, this new thing, it wasn't just for the people who had seen. It wasn't just for the witnesses at the tomb. It was for everybody. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, women and men, all of them, everybody gets to be a part. Clean and unclean animals together on one sheet. Jesus Christ, who died for all. Jesus Christ, who came for all. And Peter didn't get it for a year. God sent that dream to Peter to wake him up. Now, you would think his friends would be okay with this dream. Peter was an authority after all. But Peter went to Jerusalem and said, this is the dream I've had. This is what I think the future holds for us. And you know what his friends did? No way, man. You're talking crazy. That's not the God I know. That's not the God that I know. God that I know says we follow the rules. We separate the clean and the unclean. We keep the rules around here. And Peter was forced out. He was forced to go somewhere else and to, to abandon his friends and to make a different choice because he knew that God had sent him with a vision, clean and unclean animals. It's not Peter's fault. It's not his friend's fault. Peter is making an assumption. He's living his life based on what he knew, on the traditions that he'd grown up with, the familiar things that surrounded him. And he didn't get it. He didn't understand the possibility of what resurrection meant. That resurrection meant that things that once were dead are now alive. The resurrection meant that even things that are locked behind a heavy stone tomb can be released. Resurrection means that Jesus is not just in the tomb. Jesus didn't die and then stay there. Jesus was in the tomb, and then Jesus spent two days getting up to mischief, going and talking to demons and talking to angels and talking to the dead and becoming Lord of everything, everything, everything. Not just the Lord of the people in Jerusalem and not just the Lord of the people who knew him and not just the people who saw the resurrection, but the Lord of everything. Easter tells us that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth and hell and all that comes between it. And if that didn't tell us enough, Jesus goes on after he's resurrected to say in Matthew 28, go into the world and baptize everyone. Go into the world. Tell them about Jesus. Go. Jesus is not dead and neither are you. Go. And then when they receive the Spirit in Acts 2 and then again in Acts 10, the Spirit says the same thing. Get up off your chairs. Get out of your pews. Go. For Jesus is alive. 
Jesus is not here in the tomb. Jesus is alive. And if you believe that, if you are a resurrection people, that means that you are alive too. It's hard. If we learn anything from Peter, it's that it's hard. It's messy. It's dangerous. It makes muddy water sometimes. But it's necessary. It's hard when you mix the streams, when you start putting clean and unclean together, when dirty water and clean water come together, it makes a kind of messy river. The resulting stream can be messy, it can be difficult, it can be challenging, it can be hard to navigate. It's not clear where this river is going, but it is clear that God mixes the clean and the unclean. Without those two rivers mixing together, you don't have travel through the mountains. You don't have travel to the Mississippi. You never make it to the Gulf. Without those two rivers, those two different rivers, the clean and the unclean coming together, you don't make it to Ohio. You don't make it down the river. You don't make it to Kentucky and Louisiana and wherever else you want to go in the West. You have to have the clean and the unclean. The truth is the community of God is the same. It's the clean and the unclean. Some days we're the clean, some days we're the unclean, and for some of us, we're more days in one category than the other. But it takes both. And like Peter, we try to make things, shove things into the tomb. Oh, there's new people? Welcome them in. Let's come to the tomb together. When Jesus isn't there anymore. Jesus is going out and meeting the people. He's resurrected. He's saying, this tomb is cold, man. It's cold and it's wet, and I'd like to be out in the sunshine. And so if we are going to be resurrection people, if we're going to live into the life which God has chosen for us, if we're going to live in the midst of the water that's kind of messy, but is where God is, then we have to ask ourselves, where is God pushing us to? Where is God's stream going? We may not be in North Carolina anymore. We may end up in Mississippi. But if we ask ourselves who the risen Lord appears to, who God is calling to the table, who God invites to be part of the group, then we have to invite the clean and the unclean even if it makes our sheet a little dirty. God broke open the world on Easter. God showed us that the possibilities are bigger than we can imagine, that God can raise us from the dead. There is nothing impossible for God. There is nowhere God can't go. Heaven earth, hell, and all that is in between, and there is no one to whom God does not speak, clean or unclean. So let us live in the resurrection and be alive.